Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, celebrating our bravery in all of it. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so thankful that you're here. All right, you guys. So we have quadrupled downloads in the last couple of months. And I am so, so thankful. I am so happy that all of y'all are here. And I want to ask a very tiny favor from everyone listening. So if everyone listening would leave a review, all you have to do is like, if you're looking at the podcast page, All you have to do is like scroll up and go to the actual podcast page and leave a review. You don't even have to type anything out. You can just hit the five stars. Uh, If you'd like, you can type something out. I would love to hear from you on what you've been enjoying on this podcast. But the thing is, is so when guests are deciding if they're going to go on a show, they often look at the reviews to see wow, they've got 500 reviews. They must have a lot of listeners or they'll look at what people actually say and and wow, people really find value in this show or they really trust this host. I think I'll come on. So reviews make all the difference in booking the high quality guests that I really want to have on. So if you wouldn't mind just taking that short moment to leave a review, it would really, really make my day. And like I said, we've quadrupled the amount of downloads, but our reviews haven't gone up. So I just wanted to send out that little request to all the new listeners. It would mean so much. All right. So for today's show, we're talking about all things boundaries. Most of us were never taught how to effectively express our preferences, desires, or deal breakers. And instead, we were taught to hide our feelings behind passive aggressive behavior, to deny our own truths, or to push our emotions down. Our guest today wrote Boundary Boss, which teaches a specific set of skills that can help you stop abandoning yourself for the sake of others without the guilt or the drama. She is a New York-based licensed psychotherapist, relationship expert, and founder of Real Love Revolution, Boundary Bootcamp, and the co-founder of Crushing Codependency. Prior to her current incarnation as a love and boundaries expert, she was a bi-coastal talent agent negotiating endorsement contracts for supermodels and celebrities. Her eventual disenchantment with the world of entertainment led her to change careers in her 30s to become a psychotherapist and empowerment expert. She has since made it her mission to teach as many women as possible to establish and maintain effective boundaries with ease and create and sustain healthy, vibrant relationships. She has been featured as an expert therapist and master life coach on A&E's Monster In-Laws, TEDx, The Lisa Oz Show, Real Housewives, and had a weekly radio show on Hay House Radio, plus a regular contributor to the Huffington Post, Positively Positive, The Daily Love, Well and Good, and has been featured in L Forbes, Origin, Vogue, Self, and was honored to grace the cover of Inspired Coach Magazine. 
on a more personal note, I've been studying this woman's work for healing my own struggles with codependency and people pleasing and have found immense healing through her work. And I'm so excited to speak with her today. Please help me welcome Terry Cole to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Well, hello. I am. I know I interviewed you about a year and a half ago, um, but I'm subscribed to your Instagram. So I get like the alerts when you actually post and man, it is just like, you're just such a cheerleader in my life for, Mm. to like, you know, stand in, in truth and, and in my sovereignty. So I'm just so thankful for your continued work. And during that interview, like a year and a half ago, I believe it was your book had just come out boundary boss. And at the time I had felt like I was really good at boundaries because I had dated so many boundary bullies, as you would call them. Uh And that really pushed me into that work on myself. What I didn't realize until after I really sat with our interview and finished your book was how big my people pleaser was. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting how, even when you feel really good at boundaries, that people pleaser is a sneaky one. It gets Mm -hmm. in there still. Yeah. And it's how much it can wreck your internal peace. Yeah. The people pleasing. Cause even if you draw the boundary, if the people pleaser in you is kind of scared or feels guilty, maybe you keep the boundary there, but are you really enjoying, or are you thinking like, Oh gee, I hope they're not mad or, you know, like how much ruminating goes along if the people pleaser is, is too prominent, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And one, another way that, you know, it didn't even seem like a people pleaser, but I remember one way that it showed up for me was there was this one friendship that I overstayed in for way too long. And the reason why is because I was like, well, everyone's a mirror. There's work for me to do here. And I don't want to avoid uncomfortable feelings because there's an opportunity to grow. And then I realized I was actually avoiding uncomfortable feelings by not setting the boundary and walking away from the person. So, uh, I'm I'm curious, maybe if we can talk about how sometimes, even when you're in this personal development or self-development work, how it can kind of sometimes push us to stay in relationships thinking it's for our growth and Yeah. yeah, it can show up in that sneaky little way. It's funny. I'm, you know, my messaging and you know, cause you know, my work is so not that, when people are like, you're a mirror, you know, you, you're attracting what you No, just sometimes we attracted unhealthy people when we were less healthy mm-hmm. and we outgrow them. Mm-hmm. And when we outgrow them, having a healthy breakup conversation, if you can, unless the person is violent or it's dangerous for you to do so, then of course we will not do that. Mm-hmm. But that's a really hard one. And especially with female friendships, can I tell you, Jade, I can't tell you how many women, tens of thousands at this point mm-hmm. in my career, even ones who have sort of figured out the romantic love thing, they're playing out their unhealed wounds in their female friendships. Yeah. It's so hard. And a lot of times if I'm, you know, going around speaking at places, women will be like, I have this friendship and I, I just have to, I just have to end it. I have to end the friendship. And if I say, okay, listen, it's your right. You don't have to be friends with anyone, no matter how long you've known them, no matter if you went to grammar school together, whatever, but have you tried having a conversation? And nine times out of 10, the answer would be no. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They'd be like, no, she's impossible to talk to. I can't. And I'm like, here's the thing. It's a perfect, it's a very um, ripe opportunity to have a difficult boundary conversation. And I was asked this question so much that I actually created a course. Wow. It's the, the friendship breakup or breakthrough guide is the name of the course mm-hmm. because how do we make the how do we discern between exactly what you're saying like do i just need to be more honest with what's not working for me do i mm-hmm. need to ask for what i need do i need to make my preferences my limits my deal breakers known in this friendship is that what's happening or is it that i've actually just psychologically emotionally outgrown this yeah. person because a lot of times here's the thing we as human beings, we can only psychologically, right, act it out or talk it out. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what happens is we are acting out these unresolved things with the people we attract in our life. Then maybe we get into therapy and maybe we start talking it out. And the satisfaction that that friendship, that that scratch that it used to itch, so to speak, it's not scratchy anymore because you're talking about it. You're talking about the actual injury, not just about the friendship. Most of the time with an unhealthy friendship, and I've seen this many times in my therapy practice, where if you had a very, let's say, punitive maternal impactor, it could be a mother figure, could be a foster mom, it could be your mother, that you will then attract friends who are punitive to you, who are judgmental or perfectionist, who are blaming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a very similar way mm-hmm. that that parent was. And when we heal those original injuries, and it doesn't necessarily have to be with the parent, within ourselves, within the therapeutic process, journaling, self-love, right? Reparenting ourselves. Then suddenly your view of that friendship changes because the little kid in you feels more grown up, yeah. right? doesn't need that as much. So it's, I know it sounds convoluted, but I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I had just interviewed Jillian Tarecki. Her episode came out a couple of weeks ago and it was around breaking up and ending of relationships. And the big thing that, you know, cause it's always hard, no matter what, even if it's your dec- decision, even no matter what the circumstance is, it's always going to be hard. You're always going to miss something about that person. But mm-hmm. the reframe she had was like, I'm breaking a pattern and that's where you can find some joy in it. And I found so much beauty in that because it's like, wow, if you can look at how much growth you actually had that led you to the ending of this relationship, it's really beautiful. And when it comes to friendships, a big boundary that was new for me over this last year was that I would only stay in friendships or relationships where I had the freedom and space to be me. I would not be collapsed into a box of what someone else says I should be or how I should express, or I had a lot of friends that needed me to be exactly like them in order Mm. for the friendship to work. And at the core of that boundary for me was this desire to feel celebrated for my being. And Mm. I did get pushback from some people in my life of like, Oh, you need to be celebrated. And so I, but I thought about it and my kid, if my kids told me that they wanted to be celebrated by those in their life, I'd be really damn proud, you know? it made me think of your saying, I am allowed to do what's best for me, 
even if it upsets others. And I'd love to talk about that saying and why for some of us, especially probably women, um, that saying can make us fear being narcissistic or selfish by doing Mm -hmm. it. Well, so much of this though has to do with how we were raised, right? Mm -hmm. We, what is, what is our sort of downloaded boundary blueprint? What did we learn? We were indoctrinated into a system, most of us, that said, be a good girl. You need to be nice above all other things. It wasn't like you need Mm -hmm. to be learned and you need to be wise and you need to be Mm -hmm. ambitious and you need to be a leader. And there's many things we could have been told we should be. Mm -hmm. But most of us were told we should be nice and we should be good, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So nobody, most of us were not taught how to assert ourselves in an appropriate and healthy way. And so I love what you said, going back to you saying, I want to be in relationships where I'm celebrated for my uniqueness, for who I actually am, for my authentic self, Mm -hmm. because that is hard won. Knowing who you are took a lot of work, Mm -hmm. fighting to assert yourself when it was uncomfortable, when it was scary, when other people didn't like it, when people might call you selfish, narcissistic, I don't like it, you're changing, blah, blah, blah. Like we would get this kind of pushback when people say, you know, when I was younger and, you know, my therapeutic process was really happening and I was going from being a people pleaser to really more of who I always was, but was afraid to be, which is an original thinker. Mm -hmm. When people say, you've changed, I would say, Oh my God, that is so nice. Thank you so much for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they meant it as an insult, I would always be like, that's Thank amazing. God. I'm because alive. All been, <laughs> and all I've been doing is trying to grow and change for the past 10 years. So I'm glad you noticed. That's correct. Yeah. yeah so beautiful. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think about too, maybe the reason why, and I mean, I can't speak for men, so maybe it is very prevalent with them, but I'm thinking about too, with women, it's like, it's, it feels generational because it wasn't until the seventies that we could have a bank account. And so there was this, like, you need to be chosen. You need to be likable. That way you can actually survive because a man has to be okay with you, you know? And so it's like, we're still living by that old paradigm almost by passing that, you know, thought narrative down. Yeah. And it's so visceral. You're right. Think Mm -hmm. about in the seventies is only when it started changing at all that as a woman, Mm -hmm. you could be anything but a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. Mm -hmm. Those were your only choices. And even then they were, was discouraged. Mm -hmm. Working itself was discouraged unless it really needed to happen. So when things started changing, it wasn't just that now there were all these opportunities that we were figuring out how to go to school and take a hold of and whatever, but also nothing changed at home. So we now became a part of the workforce in Mm -hmm. droves. And statistics tell us that the emotional labor and the housework and the child rearing and all of those most of that stayed the same. So not, so not only did we now just take on a full-time job and then, also do two full-time jobs with the kind of homework. So women in particular, mm-hmm. feeling compelled to be superwomen, 
feeling compelled to do it all and do it perfectly and do it in heels and (laughs) all the expectations of who we should be. I think that so much of what the boundary work that I'm doing with clients and in groups and in my mastermind that's actually coming up in January for Mm. any of the leaders that would like to join a small group of people, terrycole.com forward slash flourish is where you can find the mastermind Mm. stuff. Um, It's like we have to make decisions about what we're willing to do. Mm -hmm. We have to literally be dialed into it can't just be dialed out to are you okay are you okay are you okay are you okay Mm -hmm. because ultimately as the mama as the one who's doing all the things for all the people if you're not okay that negatively impacts the quality of your relationships and again we're passing down that cycle if we can never ask for help right if we if we don't dial into what we need and take Mm -hmm. care of ourselves in a real way, right? It's almost like so many of my high performing, because so many of my my therapy practice and the women in my courses are these very high achieving women. But there's this sense that like, I have to do it all and I have to do it all alone. Mm -hmm. I have to do it all kind of perfectly, even ones that are in decent relationships. There's what I call high functioning codependency, where the desire for control of your own outcomes, but also everyone else's outcomes mm-hmm. is so profound that you're like, forget it. I'll just, I'll just do it myself. It'll be better. They won't do it the way that I want to do it, but we can only do that for so long. And so there's really something about understanding that boundaries are really the bridge to better relationships. They're really Mm -hmm. not the blocks. I think there's a lot of myths out there that tell us that if you have boundaries, you're saying no and rejecting people and being all aggro for no reason, which is not true. Yeah. And so I love that boundaries are the bridge to, what did you say? Healthy relationships? To really your, your best, your, your most vibrant, your most satisfying relationships Mm -hmm. Or with boundaries, because this is how people know us. Because if you think about what your boundaries are, your preferences, your limits, your deal breakers, they're not just your boundaries. Those things, preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers, I usually talk about, they're the things that actually make you uniquely you. Mm. So they're so important when people are like, oh, I'm easy breezy. It doesn't matter where we eat or what we do, or I don't care, whatever you guys want to do. Like a lot of times women, we've also been trained to think that our preference is a burden, you know, and that it's better to, to be like easy breezy, no fuss, no muss, which is not true, of course, because we all have preferences and that is what makes us uniquely us. And if you're a high functioning codependent, which is all about disordered boundaries, you know the preferences of all of the people in your life right mm-hmm. now. You can tell me what friends yeah. don't eat meat, what friends have a gluten allergy, what friends don't like outside concert. Like, you know it. You literally know it. And w- this is how you could also look and go, how many people know me in that way? Do I let them know me in that way? Because you're so worth everyone watching, listening, incredibly worth being known. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'd love to touch a little bit more on the high functioning codependency in a moment, but what, you know, you talk about the boundaries being a bridge and I love that, but why do you feel that even for some people in this work can get triggered by the word boundary? I know, um, Connor Beaton, who I love his work. He talks about how it can sometimes feel like a threat to the relationship. So he Mm -hmm. uses the word foundation or structure instead. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, it would sometimes be triggering if it was stated during conflict instead of during a connected conversation because there were times it almost did feel like a threat or even a manipulative tactic to get like an emotion out of me. And so I also didn't really trust it. Like I would have had it been in a emotionally sober setting, but yeah. Why do you think that sometimes the word boundary, it's like people kind of like cringe at the word. Because I think there's myths out there that mean boundaries are a no boundaries Mm -hmm. are just a big X over someone's face, like boundaries are all about rejection, Mm -hmm. which isn't true, which is why I have people think about their boundaries as your own personal rules of engagement. Mm -hmm. It's really just us letting others know what's okay with us. Which is foundation. It is structure. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And I also love the idea of not having a, like not pre-announcing anything. You know, when you know that your boundaries are made up of your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers, instead of, because people really want to be like, I want to let them know everything is going to change. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think you should. I feel like, why are you tipping your hand? How about just change? Mm. It's like Deepak Chopra said to me many years ago, I was doing some training with him and he was like, he had announced to the whole, it was like a small group and he was talking about you know, people are like, well, now I want everyone to meditate, you know? And he was like, here's the thing. Do not leave here and proselytize. Nobody is interested in what you're saying. Live here and live your life as a meditator. Your mm-hmm. light, the shift in you, the expansion in your internal experience. People will want to know what you're doing. And then if they ask, you may tell them, but it made so much sense. And I feel the same way about establishing better boundaries that if we create a whole bagilla of a conversation around it, where it can be as simple as saying, I'd like to make a simple request that if you're going to be more than 10 minutes late, you let me know Mm -hmm. because I took a cab instead of walking, because I didn't want to leave you sitting. I didn't know you'd be late. Mm -hmm. And this is, and then if, then if that person, then if it's a repeat offender and that person continues to do that, then of course you have to set some kind of a consequence because what inspires anyone to change? It has to be something that's slightly, you got to feel it in some way, like something painful, like because you always leave me sitting in a restaurant, I'm not interested in meeting you at the dinner anymore. If you want to make me dinner at your place and I know that you're home, I'll come there. If you want to come to my place, that works. I actually did that with a friend and I didn't, I wasn't not mad. I just wasn't meeting her at a nail salon when she was going to be literally two hours late. Like I'm not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that. I've, I've had that same experience. Yeah. So weird. And like, I'm, re- I'm like always early. Same. So people who are late, I'm, I'm sitting twice as long. So same, same. Yeah. And I try, like, I also recognize that my relationship to time, I've gotten way better in the past 20 years, but you know, I know that there's a dysfunctional aspect 
to that as well. Mm. That again, illusion of control, all the things. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I also know that my time is valuable, mm-hmm. that your time is valuable. And that if I say I'm going to be here, I'm going to work to be here when I say mm-hmm. I'm going to. And if there's a repeat offender, it's funny. When I, w- I was out in LA not that long ago and I was meeting up with different girlfriends, one of my friends is just, she's just always late. And I just decided since she'd gotten better and now she's only 10 minutes late and we were meeting other people too. So I wasn't alone. And even when I was meeting her alone, she was still 10 minutes late. And I was like, so, cause I saw her twice. And I, it's funny, my ego driven sort of hothead reaction that I would have had in my twenties. I don't feel that way because mm-hmm. this friendship, she's not 40 minutes late. She's 10 minutes late. She's pretty consistent. And she, uh, the friendship offers me but that is valuable. And I really do believe she's time challenged in a way that that's as close as she's getting it to being on time. And so I don't judge her. I really don't. I've sat, I got a cup of tea and it wasn't that long, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think we have to make decisions about this is how we decide what our boundaries are. Mm -hmm. If someone's doing it in a way that feels like they're dominating us or they're disrespecting us, Mm -hmm. or we've, it's, 25 minutes late. Like everyone has their, for some people, 10 minutes late would be too late. For me at 25, 10 minutes late would be too late. Mm -hmm. But me at my age now, which is decades later, I feel like, what am I in such a rush for? She's a little late. It's okay. You know, but all of that has to do with how we, how we feel about it. And I think that with boundaries, it really, so much of it is about knowing yourself because I promise you, Jade, the people pleasers in the world who don't want to say no to others and don't want anyone to be mad and want to avoid a conflict at all costs, which many of us have those qualities. There are also people who really don't like it when other people draw boundaries with them. Mm. And that's part of being, that's the other half of actually being a boundary boss is being able to respect someone else's boundaries now. It also means we have to be awake and aware enough, as you said, to know if someone is using a boundary as a lever to try to control, guilt, or manipulate us. Mm -hmm. And that takes a little bit of time to figure out what that is. If someone is talking about themselves and their side of the street, they have a right to that boundary. In a way, if someone is talking about you and your side of the street, then they really don't. And how do we, right? So my friend was late. That merged over onto my side of the street because we had an agreement that we'd meet at a certain time. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm within my rights to say, hey, I'd like to make a simple request that. And then you make whatever the request is going to be. Yeah, it's interesting how like when it comes to timeliness, it can, it's, from what I've noticed, it can be a trauma response that flings in either direction. So like for me, Oh my gosh. I (laughs) went to so many different schools, like was late so much. I was always in Saturday school. So I am perpetually 20 minutes early to everything. Also, I just can't stand the idea of people waiting on me. And then, however, there are, I know people who had zero control as a child. And so them being late 
means that they're getting to control the other person because that person's having to wait on them. And so it gives them this sense of control. So it's so interesting how simple things like showing up on time and the inability to, well, what we think is the inability to do it is a trauma response that like flings in either direction. It's so interesting. You also have with lateness, especially in couples, romantic relationships, a lot of times lateness is an unconscious or or conscious, but I feel like most of the time it's unconscious, passive aggressive way Mm. of expressing anger that feels too threatening for you to handle. Mm -hmm. So you do something that for sure is going to make the other person explode, be pissed off. It's like, especially if it's like repeat effect and the person's always late or always making you late. Mm-hmm. And there's something really interesting when you start to understand. I had this with my husband years ago. We've been together 25 years. And in the beginning, he would like be late. And I, I was really nuts about time back then, like even more, like 20, 30 minutes early to everything. I would have to go the day before to look at the place that I was going, like you know, just all of the controlling what I could control. Mm-hmm. And my Vic and I never fought about anything. Like we really didn't. We we had such a good and respectful relationship that it was so shocking. I remember saying to my therapist at the time, dude, I like love this guy. We weren't married yet. And I was like, but I'm definitely not interested in fighting with him about time until the end of our lives. Like there's no way. This shit is so boring. Like mm-hmm. it's predictable though. And then she was like, does Vic ever mad at you and I was like no and she's like you're a therapist do you think it's possible that he never is mad at you I'm like nope she's like correct and then we got into she helped me understand what was happening that his you know he was widowed had three acting out teenage sons lived in New Jersey he didn't want to do anything that would negatively impact our relationship because he was so happy to have found me and have a partner who had all this energy to like help fix it all or whatever. Mm -hmm. So his own anger or annoyance with me was too threat to me. And if I would ask him like, Hey, is there anything I could do that would be better? Like, is there anything I'm doing that's bothering you? He would always be like, you always want to fight. Nothing's wrong. Nothing. There's nothing. Like it's great. You know? And I'm like, I don't want to fight. I actually just care. Yeah. about your preference. Long before I wrote a book on preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers, I really did. I was like, mm-hmm. am I doing something that annoys you? And all he could come up with is, you know, when you wash your hair, sometimes you don't clean out the hair in the drain. I've never, 25 years after that conversation, I never didn't clean the drain. And think of him fondly every time. Like mm-hmm. I think of him rather than having 25 years of him seeing the hair and thinking of me in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So our preferences kind of do matter. But anyway, long way around the barn to get back to the whole passive aggressive anger thing. When we finally got to it and I was explaining to him what my my uh, therapist theory about what was going on, he was like, I don't know, you know, I, I'm not sure. And I was like, here's the thing. What I'm telling you is I can barely manage my own anger. I'm so afraid of it. I definitely cannot manage yours as well. So I'd like to make some requests that you get back into therapy and deal with this. And he was like, okay. And that's kind of what we did. And that deconstructed the late early thing. Wow. We started like being me and him against the thing where if I was getting anxious, he's like, babe, 
we always have the right amount of time. We have exactly the right amount of time. And instead of getting mad, I'd be like, you're right, we do. So we found a way to support each other mm-hmm. in that. And also he was able to then talk about things that were bothering him, which mm-hmm. we needed to do, you know? Yeah, I love that story. Yeah, golly. So um, interesting that that could have just gone on without looking at like the root of it and how the root, like looking at the root of it actually brought y'all so much closer and made such a, you know, more safe, beautiful container of a relationship. Yeah. It's no secret that shame free sex and pleasure are powerful avenues to deeper connections and an overall sense of well being. And accessible, expertly designed toys can play a big part in getting you there and making you feel more alive. Dame is leading a sexual wellness revolution as a women powered resource for game changing pleasure products and supportive content. Started by a sex educator and an engineering whiz. Dame develops their products based on research and feedback from people like you. They're making better sexual experiences and more pleasure available to all. Dame's easy-to-use toys and accessories are made with body-safe, doctor-approved materials and smart design principles, and they've earned glowing praise from the New York Times, the Today Show, and many more, including me. Whether you're looking to shake things up with your partner or upgrade your self-care routine, they've got something for every nightstand. Even better, Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. And I will guarantee you satisfaction because I use their products myself. They're amazing. My favorite one is their suction toy. I call it the clit sucker, but it's uh, spelled A-E-R. It's called air. It's a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation. It creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris. So you can go all the way right away. Guys, I have like eight to 10 orgasms almost every time I use it. I use it during sex and in my own pleasure practice. You will not be disappointed. They're also sending me a bunch of their other products. So I'll keep you updated. But as of right now, this one's my favorite and I highly recommend it. Go to dameproducts.com and use code Jade today for 15% off your order with Dame. Now on with the show. What do you suggest for when a couple's boundaries conflict with one another's though? So like, for example, in my last partnership, our boundaries conflicted when it came to sexual expression and even how we practiced our spirituality. My boundary was that how I worshiped, how I accessed God would not be dictated. And his boundary was that I didn't have many of my altar items or spiritual tools in the home because it was like sinful according to his spirituality. So for us, it caused the ending of our relationship, but I'm sure there are couples that are actually married or have kids together and have been together for so long that they'd like to find some common ground. So how do we stick to our boundaries and what's true for ourselves when our partner's boundaries completely conflict with ours? Well, here's the thing. Your former partner had a right to believe what he believed. Mm -hmm. You have a right to believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. I don't think my, my feeling is if he didn't want those things around the house, that you have a right to have an altar wherever you want to have an altar, your own private sort of, you know, I call it your own Zen den. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there, there, what you're describing, there's like a right and wrongness 
mm-hmm. like un, there's an underlying feeling of like right and wrongness mm-hmm. because why why would anything that you have out in the open be bothersome mm-hmm. if i mean you said it his his belief was that it was somehow sinful so obviously that was fated to not work mm-hmm. in light of that because that's a real that's real like yeah to be like what you're doing is sinful is there's no well, yeah there, there's no spirituality it's like the core of who you are so that's like a it's yeah. very important but mm-hmm. I think looking at it from the point of view you need two people who want to come up with a solution mm-hmm. you've got to both be in the mindset of like hey this is not you against me this is you and me against Mm -hmm. this thing that we're grappling with together. Mm -hmm. So can we compromise? Can we meet in the middle? If I create a Zen Den in this room and do the things that I want to do, will that alleviate how you feel? And, you know, obviously no, but like coming up with suggestions together, but it's the mindset that if it's a power dynamic and if it's a desire to dominate Mm -hmm. the other, with your own beliefs or your own values, that part is really hard. And it's okay to have conversations if you can have an open dialogue. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? What does that mean to you? Those things are important, but I think a lot of couples don't have that ability. Yeah. Right. We didn't learn how to do that. So I always suggest that couples have what I call the state of the union, mm. where Maybe every other week or once a week, like, and I do it every other week on a Sunday morning, we just stay in bed, get coffee, New York Times. And we just talk about, first, we start with, always start with gratitudes. Mm. How's it going? Like, what is going well, right, in our life? And then we go into, what could we be doing better? So, so it's normalizing, conversing about pleasant things and painful things but you create this really safe and sacred container. And I also do that in the corporate work that I do because people are so afraid to be labeled complainers and whatever. But if you have a time when this is how we figure out what is optimal, whether it's for a business plan or whether it's for a relationship, this you leaving your wet towel on my wood floor is not optimal, right? That's just, I always use that example because it's annoying as hell when someone does it. But those are the things that we're like, oh, maybe I'll sound petty or maybe I'll sound like a nag. Or Listen, if that thing is bothering you and you're feeling resentment, then you need to talk about it. And that's a perfect place, especially for couples who are conflict averse, to be like, hey, every other Friday, we're going to go to lunch. It's going to be lovely. And we're going to talk about this in this way. And I, I, I've written quite a bit about this so that people can... You know, just, it's just some steps that you can do mm-hmm. to normalize having that kind of conversation that I think people went hard if nobody taught you how. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, now that I think about it, um, when we stopped having our relationship check-ins is when things started to kind of go downhill yep. and I don't even think either of us caught that. So yeah. So yeah, such an important part that every other week or every Sunday night, whatever it is that feels right for that relationship. So you brought up earlier high-functioning codependency. Mm -hmm. How does someone know if they are high-functioning codependent? 
Well, let's start with what codependency is. Okay. Right. So it's being overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the circumstances, the relationships, the situations of the people in our lives Mm -hmm. to the detriment of our internal peace. Mm -hmm. It could also be your financial well-being, your spiritual well-being, your physical well-being. Think about that because listen, we're all mothers, sisters, lovers. Like, of course, we're invested in the happiness of the people we care about. Yeah. Obviously. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being overly invested Mm -hmm. so that if something bad happens to those that you love, immediately it feels like your situation. Immediately it feels like something bad happening to you. Immediately you feel like you're in a fix-it position. Immediately you start making phone calls and you're like looking up stuff on, you know, you're Googling things to fix. Mm -hmm. Because at its core, codependency is disordered boundaries. Mm. We're overstepping the boundaries of others and it's a covert or overt bid to control other people's outcomes. Mm -hmm. Right? It it really is a control thing. I I feel like with codependency, the reason I came up with high-functioning codependency, which actually is what I'm writing my next book about. That's how prevalent it is. (laughs) Is that all these super capable women in my therapy practice. And I would say, hey, what I'm noticing, this is a codependent relational pattern. Like I I can do this. And they'd be like, codependent? Yeah, no, no, not me. You, You got it all wrong, lady. I'm making all the money. Everyone counts on me. I'm the one people come to with their problems. I'm not dependent on squat. And I'm like, oh my God, my clients don't know what codependency is. They think it's just the Melody Beatty, codependent no more, got to be involved with an addict. I must be enabling codependent and codependent no more. Wonderful book. I mean, literally the seminal text on codependency written decades ago. Yeah, thank me. Yeah, Yeah, right? Like it's amazing, but this is different. And so I added the moniker because what, what I was seeing in my practice, and of course they were women, you know, you attract people who are, you know, from your similar ilk kind of, is that as soon as I added high functioning codependency, they were like, oh my God, yes, that's me. Because you are the person, you're so highly capable. People are coming to you. You are doing all the things for all the people, but you're so good at it. You make it look easy. Mm-hmm. Nobody is thinking, gee, I hope you're okay. They're like, oh, she's always fine. She's fine. She'll get it done. You know, and we're tired. So (laughs) if you're wondering if you're codependent, one indication is resentment. So I'll ask you to do a resentment inventory and think about who are you holding resentment for right now in your life you know and why because a lot of times when we have when we feel resentment it's either a need is not being met a boundary is being crossed or um a boundary is being violated now a lot of times if you're a high functioning codependent you might feel resentful because you spent two hours on the phone with your friend who's having a nervous breakdown and you help her make a plan to get out of that terrible relationship and leave that idiot and la la la. 
And then two days later, she goes back. Mm -hmm. And you're like. And you find out from someone else. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You find out from someone else. You're so mad. You're like, (laughs) I spent two, I literally canceled like what I was supposed to do that night because you were in distress. Yeah. But what, what it really comes down to though, Jade, is that when you're a high functioning codependent, other people's distress is really, really distressing yeah. to us. Mm-hmm. And so we really want to fix it and we really want to be a part of the solution. But it is control. And the healthier you get, the more you see that inserting yourself as the solution in the middle of someone else's problem is pretty presumptuous. Like, mm-hmm. do I really know? what this person should do, even if I have great advice, even if I am a psychotherapist, even if I am a master coach, even if all of those things, it's not about that. It's about, I have the answers for my life and my sister must make the mistakes that she must make Mm -hmm. to create her life. She must be the hero of her own story. And when I insert myself in as like the answer person, I'm asserting myself as the hero as the authority. Yeah. 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 Almost like a God complex in a way, but it's, you know, I never linked codependency to control until you just said that. And it's like, yeah, it is about control and control is out of fear always. Yep. So interesting. And I noticed, you know, I I talked about this in that episode with Jillian Tarecki is that in previous relationships, I was full blown codependent. Um, Due to also as a child, my parents would have these really um, chaotic turmoil of a um, emotional state all the time. And I would take it on as, you know, because my nervous system was commingled with theirs still. And I would take it on as my own. And I continued that into my relationships in my 20s. If something happened to them, it happened to me big time. Like it it rocked my world until I started, um, you know, down this path of, of really working on myself and, and reading books like yours. And then I found though, that in my last relationship, the pendulum swung to the other side where it was like, he would go through something and I would like, not gonna, this is not going to take me over. This is not going to take me down, you know? And then it, it, it felt like for him, a lack of empathy when deep down I was empathizing, but I was, I was like, fighting so hard to not let this take me over because I had always been taken over. And so what I'm hoping is that through experiencing that pendulum swing that I'm learning to find the balance. And you, what you describe is so common, right? It's like we go from feeling so enmeshed in relationships that we have no other, we have no separateness. Mm -hmm. And then it's almost like the only way to do it with your ex, well, and I'm guessing, but it's almost like with a little bit of heat inside, a little bit of anger, like that's happening to you. And I, I'm not taking it on and good luck, kind of, at least for me, when I, when I would go from the extremes of, I have all the answers, to like, hope it works out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and there definitely is a place in the middle where you can talk about it where you can say, hey, are you open for input or are we, or do you just want to vent? I think learning to be able to say, I don't know, Mm. is one of the most 
powerful things as a high-functioning codependent that we can do. When someone else says to us, what should I do? You say, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I have utter faith that you will figure it out because it's Mm -hmm. your life and really you're the only one who can, and I'm here for it. I'm here to support you. Let me know how I can best support you. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Even making sense of other weird things out in the world, like when you're a high-functioning codependent, you just feel like you have to have all the answers. And there's something really liberating about just saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just putting it down and having faith that the other person is going to figure out their life or they won't. Yeah. Either way, that's their journey, right? That's their journey this time around. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting that I'm realizing just in this conversation with you, this happened last time I spoke to you, um, is it it still was a form of control because I noticed like, I think what came, how that came to be this, like, I'm not going to let this take me over was in the very beginning when, when that partner would start to go through health issues or parenting issues, whatever it was. And I would say, I really think this is what you should do. I really think you need to clean up your diet or I think you need to approach it from this angle. And he just wasn't interested in my input. And so Mm -hmm. I had zero control. And so it was like, almost like, well, the only way I can feel any sense of control is if I just don't, you know, and then I'm at least in control of myself. And so I love that, 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 um, opportunity of just, I don't know, how can I support you? Because you're, yeah. So I, I didn't even realize it was just still another form of me trying to control something. That's so good, though. That's that's a really insightful realization, though, Mm -hmm. about how even being sort of withdrawn in anger a little bit, that Mm -hmm. is a passive aggressive expression Mm -hmm. of frustration Mm -hmm. or displeasure or anger, because it is so hard when you're um, an auto fixer, when you're an auto accommodator, Mm -hmm. high functioning codependent or like this, it's we get so mad if someone is blocking us from doing it. Yeah. Right? I'm mad. Well, especially like, like right. for me, it felt like you're not trusting a woman's wisdom. You're not trusting my intuition. And so then for me, it became this like worthiness wound also. There was like so many layers here. So yeah. interesting. So yeah. good though. So good. Yeah. So I also, I feel like this, Um, you talked about with a timeliness, I feel like that also can kind of go into being a highly sensitive person. And this is me for sure. Um, I'm also on the spectrum. I always thought I was just highly, a highly sensitive person until I really looked into being on the spectrum and was like, wow, a lot of them overlap. Like I Mm -hmm. cannot do bright lights. I can't do super abrupt sounds. Um, I, I need a lot of like structure, but I'm, um, yeah, I'm curious, how can we thrive? Cause I still, I still resonate as a highly sensitive person. How can we yeah. thrive with that? Well, I do too, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I talk quite a bit about this on my platforms and what I write mm-hmm. about. And this will also be in the new book when it comes out. And I'm so thankful you do because a lot of people feel like something's wrong with them. If oh, yeah. so, I'm so thankful you're vocal about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that here's the thing with boundaries, especially as a highly sensitive person, it is crucial that you honor your boundaries and your needs and that you realize you don't need to convince people Mm -hmm. that you have a right to the way that you feel. I put out a a little video the other day. I was saying, 
as an HSP, my love language has everything to do with Vic remembering to just turn off the horrible kitchen light when he comes into the living room because it burns out my corneas. Oh, I feel like someone pokes me in the eyes. Oh yeah. It's so painful. I I live in the dark. I mean, my life is just these, see those twinkly lights. If I wasn't (laughs) videoing this, they'd be the only thing that's on. But how loved I feel as an HSP, because I have a husband who doesn't make fun of me mm-hmm. or judge me. Yeah. He knows, he, he knows lights, no, loud sounds, no, he isn't mm-hmm. mad. I still shush him because I feel like he talks too loud, but I'm like, babe, not on the speakerphone. Like, no, but he doesn't get mad. Like he understands. He wants to live comfortably. And that means I got to take into consideration all of the zillions of things that bother me as a highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. And I am blessed enough to have partnered with someone who cares. So part of it is know that something's wrong with you. If bright lights, loud sounds, pungent smells, I mean, everything, I can't wear anything itchy, scratchy. I need really nice sheets because everything has to be comfortable. Everything, like there's a whole tactile thing that goes along for me of being a highly sensitive person. But lights, sounds, and probably smells are the the hardest ones for me. Mm-hmm. If they're bright or loud or stinky, <laughs> it's just, I can't I have to go somewhere else. You have to be able to, you have to respect it. And if you respect it and work to create more comfort Mm -hmm. in your life. See your highly sensitive personhood as your superpower because Mm -hmm. it is and it can be. It's all which makes the thing that makes you attuned to the people in your life, part of it. I mean, most most people who are highly sensitive folks also identify as empaths, Mm -hmm. right? And, And you don't have to, maybe you don't, but in my crew, there's a lot of people who feel the feelings of others. So just layer that on top. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that we learn how to take care of ourselves. And that Mm -hmm. has everything to do with having healthy boundaries. If you don't like loud music, saying no. Don't go to that thing, even if all your friends are going. Or everywhere I go where anything is loud, I wear earplugs. Me too. I do also. I don't care. I did a whole funny story the other day because I like reluctantly, but I know it makes my husband happy. So I went to a jazz club in New York. And I literally had bright, they were like neon. I couldn't find my normal color but neon, neon earplugs. And you see, there's a picture of me and I'm holding my ear like <laughs> smiling, covering up the earplugs so nobody sees. And, you know, th- this is how I got to do it. Or I couldn't have sat there mm-hmm. for two and a half hours yeah. listening to very loud music. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at having an expectation that the people in your life, you don't have to understand me. You don't have to be in my shoes. You have to care about the way I feel. Mm-hmm. You want to be in my life? You have to care about the way I feel. I don't need to justify my feelings to you. I don't need to prove to you that bright lights hurt me. Trust me, they do. And if you don't, you're not my person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if they're like, you have no reason to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Who? What? Who died and made you God? I First of all, that makes no sense because I already feel that way. Like, it's like shutting the barn door after the horses are already out. Like, <laughs> why is that the thing you say rather than how can I best support you or how can I make it better? You can remember to turn off the kitchen 
like, that's how you can make it better. You know? Yeah. I know a lot of people thought that like, I was just a diva needing, you know, the amber lighting and the, the, you know, certain things that made my nervous system more soothed until Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, terms like high functioning or, um, uh, uh, what was the term you just used? highly sensitive person. And then also until I realized that I was on the spectrum, then it was like, it gave it framework that like actually for some reason, all of a sudden people understood. But up until then it was like, I was just a light diva, you know? (laughs) So I'm actually really thankful for these terms because even though they're labels, they actually provide a lot of freedom and understanding. They do. And part of it is you knowing Mm -hmm. that you have a right to your preferences. Yeah. Like you do. Mm-hmm. And that you don't need a diagnosis to have a preference. Yeah. And I care about my my people's preferences, the people mm-hmm. in my life. I work to meet in the middle. And again, and then if you end up like you were saying before, where they're they're in opposition the needs, that's where you have to compromise in long-term yeah. relationships. Yeah. So I have one more uh question before the lightning round. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned empath, um, that that can kind of layer on the highly sensitive person and Mm -hmm. it feels like, and I I know I've read this too, that, um, empaths tend to be targeted by narcissists and you have, um, talked about how there's overt and covert narcissism, which I had never Mm -hmm. heard of. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to see if you could just go into that a little bit. Sure. Um, overt narcissism. Those are the narcissists that were more um, well aware of in society because we hear more about them. They're kind of braggadocious. They're talking about their accomplishments. They're kind of flashy. They're usually pretty charming. They're kind of like, mm. they're, they've got some, some, something that makes people attracted to them. There's a certain mm-hmm. confidence about them. They want to have a flashy car. They're, you know, sadly, if it's one of your parents, like your friends are all like, oh my God, your mom is so cool. And you're like, Oh my God, so not, but okay. Like nobody knows what goes on when you're alone, but that is an overt narcissist. Mm -hmm. Someone who exaggerates their accomplishments, um, always talking about themselves, bragging. A covert narc is someone who presents as more insecure. It's someone who presents as more um, like an introvert as opposed to an extrovert. Mm -hmm. But the way that they can torture the people they're in relationships with are very similar. They're not happy for you. When something good happens to you, they're very much with covert narcs. They're very much narcs. They're very much like, well, it'd be nice to have like someone paying for school. Not like mm-hmm. I had to, you know, have loans or whatever. Yeah. I just got the short end of the stick, like always feeling like they got kind of screwed by life. So mm-hmm. anything to other people they're like well they don't really deserve it and if I had rich parents that would happen to me too like that um make you feel it's sort of the same thing like they're they they just do it all more subtly planting Mm -hmm. seeds about your friends um making you feel insecure about things Mm -hmm. covert narcs though it's almost like they want to elevate themselves by association which Mm -hmm. is kind of where it's like they they see other people and will be like, that person is super cool. And I want an association with that person where overt narcs are more like, I'm the super cool, cool person, you know? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. 
But both of them, the, the thing that they have in common is the inability to have compassion or empathy for others in any kind of a real way. Mm-hmm. Oh, so interesting. And, and um, I interviewed someone about narcissism a while back and we were talking about like the cure and how there's like not really a cure. And then it, you know, later on it was like, well, I guess the cure is in our parenting, like the kids that we're raising. Um, Mm -hmm. And that gave me hope because it does feel like we're in a different time now where we are at least aware of narcissism and how to raise emotionally intelligent children. So. Yes. And you have different schools of thought about, I think, you know, narcissists, are made. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That like a change in parenting can actually make a difference in who someone becomes, which is very helpful, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, hopeful as opposed to helpful, helpful too, probably, but where you're not destined for that. And then there's the, you know, they say narcissists are made and psychopaths are born. I don't know. I can't conclusively say that that is True or not, but that is what they say in the mental health world. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that also reminds me of your boundary revolution of like teaching our kids boundaries. And that way that, you know, the next generation, it's yeah. a completely different dynamic. Yeah. So I have so much hope because I do feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons to social media, but the pro is like how aware we're becoming of all of these terms and, and unhealthy yeah. dynamics and coping mechanisms and all that. So I can't even imagine if, if our parents had the tools that we have so readily available to us. So yeah, how different it would be, but then we wouldn't be who we are. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We wouldn't be interested in this stuff. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I wouldn't be a therapist. <laughs> yeah. So there's a few short questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show. The first one is if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Don't worry. Mm-hmm. You're great. Like, don't worry so much. It's all going to work out. Yeah. Mm, I need to hear that now. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. You're yeah. great. <laughs> if you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Probably Boundary Boss. You said that last time and it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm consistent. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I had multiple friends, especially in the entertainment industry, which is um, funny considering your background that said Mm -hmm. that that interview in your book changed their life completely. It changed their career completely. So. Makes me so happy to hear. And I have a gift for your audience too. So let me tell you what it is, because it's going to be about, I mean, I know we're always talking about codependency, but we're talking about codependency again. So they can, your, your people can find their gift at boundaryboss.me forward slash jade perfect and it's going to be it's about boundaries and codependency for those of you who are like i'd like to know more like am i am i not it's sort of it's an inquiry to help you have a better understanding of yourself amazing thank you so much so that's where they can get the gift and then can you tell us where the rest of i know you mentioned it before but where the rest of your master classes are and where they can find you on instagram Yes, I have a mastermind. The first time I'm ever doing a six-month mastermind wow. for uh, kind of a small group of women only. They, you can go check that out at terrycole.com forward slash flourish. 
it's really for like leaders and entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and anyone who wants to have more ease and grace and better boundaries and better communication and more money in their life. That's who that's for. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at Terry Cole, just T-E-R-R-I-C-O-L-E. And my website is terrycole.com. And I also have a, a podcast that I've had for seven years, The Terry Cole Show. Amazing. Thank you so much. Again, I know I'm, you know, I found out about you when your book came out, but I've been, you know, you doing your work ever since and your Instagram is just, it just, it's a constant reminder to not self-abandon. And so I'm just so thankful. I can't imagine, you know, the world without your work truly. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. It makes me so happy to hear. I hope it all just leads to the place where you want to go. All right, you guys. Oh man, I am in a completely different place than the last time I talked to her. And that's what I love about interviewing guests a second and third and fourth time is it's like, wow, it's a completely different conversation for a completely different time in my life. And it's just, it's so interesting to look at. Um, and her book, Boundary Boss, I, I highly, highly suggest it. I, like I said, I thought I was really good at boundaries, but I didn't realize how big my, um, codependency and my people pleaser was at the time. And it's just, you know, just having that aware that awareness and that knowledge, it all of a sudden you'll notice, like you may not notice it as you're reading the book, but then after you read the book, you'll notice like, ah, that's my people pleaser. Or like, oh my gosh, there's some codependency here. So yeah highly suggest it highly suggest her program as well that's something i'm going to look up the the flourish that sounds amazing to me and then we also have um a masterclass from dominic cortusio we had him on a couple of episodes ago about how it's emotional foreplay how to get your man to open up to you he has a masterclass as well it's only 25 dollars. the link is in the show notes uh right below um right where you'll see all the affiliate links and $25 is unheard of for a masterclass y'all. And I highly suggest it. Dom is just a powerhouse of knowledge when it comes to men and women, honestly, he's just, he's amazing. And then Gene Keys is the link right under that. And Gene Keys is like a inner GPS. It is kind of like human design, but for me, more fluid, a bit more, um, I don't know, like I'm, I'm able to use it a little bit more and it's just, it's a lot more detailed too. I love them both, but if you go to Gene Keys, you'll, you'll click on the link and, uh, it'll lead you to the dream, uh, program of his, which is like how to use your dreams as messengers and how to call in certain animals in your dreams, all types of cool stuff. But if you use that link to click on any of his programs, the one about love, prosperity, any of it, this show will get a small cut. So that's a way you can support the show. And then the best toys for sex at dameproducts.com code Jade gets you 15% off. And my favorite is the Air, A-E-R. It's the suction toy. I love it. I like to pair it with my pleasure wand or my yoni egg from wands, W-A-A-N-D-S.com. In my women's program that is going to launch in February, but you can go to my website, jade-bryce to take a look at it. 
in that women's program, we will be using pleasure wands and yoni eggs. Um, you'll have your privacy, but you'll learn all the different ways you can use them. And um, if you would like to go ahead and get those tools, you can go to wands.com, two A's, and then code Jade for a discount there as well. And then all things infrared at higher dose code Jade75 gets you $75 off. And I mentioned that website, Jade-Bryce is now live. You can go and check out all the ways to work with me and just go check it out if you'd like. I'm going to have a quiz up on there soon. You can sign up for my newsletter, Pleasure Ponderings, so many things. And just, I would love for you to check it out and let me know what you think. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much if you would leave a review or share an episode with a friend. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, you belong here. big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save big